What a twist! Welcome to What's Happening, the podcast in which Sam and Cameron watch The Happening once a week and talk about it afterwards. And boy, did we have a doozy today. I'm Sam. And, and I'm Cameron. We're joined on a, on a special occasion because we start school again tomorrow. We start school again tomorrow. It's the Yay. back to school episode oh, of the What's Happening. back to happening. school episode. You guys better listen to this on your way to school tomorrow. Yes. All right. But we didn't just watch this alone. Uh, we had a very nice guest with us. Guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, hi, my name is Mitchell Pratt. Um, I'm a film production major at Chapman University, and I've never seen The Happening before today. And uh, now that you've seen The Happening, can you tell us a little bit about uh, this this broken cherry you feel inside? I, oh, I just, I just, I just feel sad. Yeah. I just feel really, really sad. We were really quiet throughout the whole thing. No, uh, I, I really just couldn't believe what I was watching. We, we usually do lots of callbacks, but I, I was really interested in seeing your face because... Yeah, and you get... Mitchell, Mitchell holds a special place in my heart as being somebody who has very, very acute sense of film. Yes. And just an acute sense of life itself. And, and so I was interested to see some, his reaction to something so surreal... In yes. its construction. And not like in the good way surreal, in, in the way that it, yeah. sh- it shouldn't exist surreal. And like when you're like having a dream and you're like, nothing about this seems right, but you can't wake up. Now, wait, what, how do you usually feel when you see a bad movie? Like when you see something that you just don't like, how does it usually feel? Mm. Well, okay. Um, usually, usually like, okay, while I was watching this, the film that came to mind to most, the, the film that came to mind the most for me was Birdemic. Birdemic hmm. Shock and yeah, Terror, yeah, I know which yeah. came out later yeah. after the half, like 2010, 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and they are kind of similar films, you know. You've got a natural disaster, uh, global warming and shit destroying the planet and causing a freak thing, and they're both really, really bad movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, I didn't expect it. I. I I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure out the right way to say you, this. You no, take your time. Take your time. You, you've got it. You've got to think about this. With a bad movie like, in my opinion, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I can watch it and get frustrated. Like, I can get real angry. I got, like, I got angry at Amazing Spider-Man 2, at The Maze Runner, at Kangaroo Jack, at Showgirls. You got mad at Kangaroo Jack. Yes, I got mad at Kangaroo Jack. I got mad at Ooh. Showgirls. I got, I can get mad at bad movies. Because you see, I, the one thing that I think that makes me mad at movies is when they're pretending to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, well, well, every movie's kind of pretending to like it's aspiring to be. I mean, good. no, no movie is ever being like they'll never find out that I'm a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, there's a difference between like being like being like like a movie, a good movie in my mind would would just lay out what it is and hope that it's good and hope that the audience is good. Yeah. Bad movies, frequent like Kangaroo Jack comes to mind is when they hit a comedic note. And then they just look at you in the eyes, and they're like, right? Wasn't it funny? Right? Wasn't it funny? Right? <laughs> yeah, and it's Which, not funny. Mm-hmm. It's also called Kangaroo Jack, and Kangaroo Jack is barely in it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Mom, but now right. you've seen... Now that's the process of normal bad movies. How'd you feel about this movie while watching it? Again, relating it to Birdemic, I'm watching it, and I'm not frustrated or angry or like, why the twist did you do that? I'm watching it, and I'm going... What what was it like, the day they shot that? Mm-hmm. What what were they all doing? What 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 did what was Mark Wahlberg? What what was going on back at home? 
Zoe, what what what, what were you get? What did you what did you have for lunch that day? Like I I wanted to I just wanted to because you can see in scenes that she's probably more preoccupied with what she had for lunch. Yeah. Exactly. Than she is in actually the movie. The scene. Exactly. I I didn't see a movie with characters. That's the thing. That's the thing. I, I think I even worded this earlier. Some movies, some bad movies like Showgirls, kind of create their own bad movie universe. Mm-hmm. You know, in and of themselves, we're just like okay. This is the world that we're in where really stupid people do stupid things and talk stupidly and the shots are stupid. That's just – this is just the bad movie world that we're in. Hmm. This one was too real. This one was just – this was documenting a really, really bad script yes. being performed by actors in locations under the direction of a very bad director. Which – remember John Leguizamo? He was so long ago – that part of the movie was a while ago. Yeah, and in my opinion, John Leguizamo was the best part of the movie. Is John well, Leguizamo in the in the technical sense of like in good movie filmmaking, he was probably the in terms best of part. somebody who he delivered. should have played the Elliot character. That's what I yeah. said earlier in, actually, in a previous episode was that John Leguizamo would be better as Elliot. I mean, seeing this about like ten, eleven times now that like if I've understood the character like more, and I feel like if someone else had played him, like if there was a nerdier person. Because Some of the, the stuff could be different and endearing. And I and I don't mean to, to offend anyone, but when when Mark Wahlberg hits these notes that are supposed to be like nerdy or like or like geeky, he almost comes off as mentally deficient. Mm-hmm. He almost comes up like like he doesn't understand social paradigms. It's just he's built with that charisma and like that kind of thing and he can't he yeah. can't do this other this yeah. thing. These are actors who in other projects have been very, very talented and very successful. Zoe Deschanel was good on New Girl. Mark Wahlberg is good in whatever he does. I mean, he's Academy Award nominated, so like that's gotta count for something. It's got to. And I mean, wasn't there a Tony winner in this movie too? I yeah. believe Betty Buckley was a Tony Award winner. Okay, Betty Buckley. I'm sure she's good in what she does too. Mm-hmm. But I, so that's why I think this was really a case of just a bad script and heinous directing. Heinous directing. Really heinous, head-up-his-ass directing. That's the thing. You know, I, I mentioned... My sister and I were actually talking about this. I, I, dr- I just arrived in California this past weekend. I drove down here from Portland, Oregon, and my sister joined me. And we actually talked about M. Night Shyamalan briefly while we were driving down here. What did you guys here. talk about with that? Well, we talked about how she, one of her favorite movies is The Sixth Sense. It's one of my favorites, you know, and, too, And how it's, she thinks it's a really great movie, and so she feels sad for M. Night Shyamalan. I don't feel sad for M. Night Shyamalan, because his head is just so far up his own ass, and he's just so in love with... With his, like, you remember that that one totally pointless shot in this movie where there's Which the one? where <laughs> where the wind is blowing through like the tall grass and we get the edge of Zoe Deschanel's sure, dress yeah. covering up one half of the thing. What did that add? What, was, what what did we learn? It was an artsy shot. It was meant to evoke emotions. What did we? What emotions? What do we it's learn from that? Emotions. That's God, maybe I, now I am getting frustrated. See, the thing is, I. I am a fan of The Sixth Sense a lot, and I feel bad. I do feel bad for Shyamalan, like, actually a little bit. I don't. The man's an idiot. The thing is, I've I've heard that he's actually, like, he only has his head up his ass when he's he's writing and directing. Like, as a normal guy, he's, like, considered one of the nicest people around and to work with. But when he gets into his, like, philosophical, I'm better than everyone else mode, he's 
like the worst person to just interact with because he just only thinks about that. Recently, I heard someone talk about how Shyamalan has said that the happening is supposed to be an homage to disaster movies. Yeah, I just, that last to, time. To, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, I I kind of see what you're doing there, but if you're going for homage, then there needs to be more homage. <laughs> there wasn't be, enough clue in of homage there. There needs to be like shots that represent other things or like characters doing and saying other things mm-hmm. that represent other things, but there needs just... to be and 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 even so like like the music of it of the happening is so well done mm-hmm. that it couldn't possibly be an homage. No. It it needed some sort of something aesthetically to clue you in that this wasn't just a failed disaster movie, that yeah. this was an homage to disaster movies. Mm-hmm. I don't even I don't even get that because it seemed an homage to disaster movies. Like, are we talking like the Poseidon Adventure or the, the I, Towering I Inferno? Just mean, like, something or like or just um, things that like caused the world to destroy. Itself. Something like like uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead. Oh, or, I, okay. okay or, well, because yeah. I was thinking about, <laughs> I was watching this and I was seeing parallels to Spielberg's War of the Worlds too. Mm-hmm. It basically has the same structure where it just like starts on any a day like any other day. Then the thing happens, and then they go on the run, and like everybody becomes very, very. Everyone turns totally selfish, and you know, you know, does their thing, you know, and it's survival of the fittest uh, in the middle act. And then we lose a main character before the third act can get going, the John Leguizamo guy, and then the characters hide out in a house with a crazy person. You know, just it's oh, it, it was just like oh, and then this totally and, what it is. oh, really? oh, and then it ends, and then oh, it ends because yeah. World of the Worlds. I mean, spoiler alert for World of the Worlds: the movie just ends. The, the aliens just die. The aliens just die, and that's it. In this case, the infection, just whatever stops. it was, just stops, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Ooh, but then there's the hint that's going to start again. Oh, it starts again in Le France. Yeah, Le Chamelon. Le Chamelon. That was a good one. That was a good callback. That was good. Um. Right. Yeah, so yeah, it's exactly like War of the Worlds, except done really badly. Yeah, that's... The shots are just so uninteresting. The characters talk so stilted and unnaturally. And it's... it's not even done in, like, a way that I... If it's... I can tell that it's intentional, but I don't know what the intent is. The thing I don't that know I what I'm supposed like, to feel. The, the, the shots are bad, but also the lighting is actually decently bad. It's like, it's... You know how comedies are usually well lit and like dramas have like shadows and stuff. Yeah, this yeah. It's just solidly lit the whole time. Like you can just see everything. Yeah, that's what I meant. I think uh, it would have been because you brought this up like with the mist in the background. Yeah, like in one of the scenes when they're in the field, there's mist. It's it's clearly if you're paying attention, it's a misty day. There's mist because it's probably the time of day that they were filming mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But the way they light it, or the process in which they converted the film afterwards and yeah. the colorist did it, it just completely takes out the mist unless you're looking at it. And I feel like. Mist might have been a good way to sort of... It's a very sterile film. You sort of feel like when you're in that classroom towards the beginning of the film, you never really change that sort of feeling from that classroom. It always feels sort of sterile and without any sort of real real life to it. And Mist might have added sort of a a sense to it. A sixth sense, you might say. Uh, Well, the thing is with the field, it almost looks like it's a green screen shot because of how different the background is to how well lit they are. Mm -hmm. I keep thinking that they're in front of a green screen, but they probably weren't. They probably were actually in that field. I never, Mm -hmm. yeah, I never felt scared watching the movie, and that's probably because there was no effort put into it to make it look any particular way. People just went and did things. Like, he was, 
it's it's yeah. one thing to like want to rely on the story for like a lot of things, which is the core, the crux of every story. But it takes the technical elements to add to it and make it make it mean the thing yep. that it's trying to mean. I mean, if anything, this film could have been scary. Yes, there could have been scary moments, even jump scares. For God's sake, they had one jump scare. One jump scare with with you looking at me, trying to steal my things, and 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 uh, but. Like, it wasn't even scary, and it's because he devoted himself to this idea of the story of Zoe Deschanel and Mark, Mark Wahlberg yeah. that was so uninteresting. It was uninteresting. Yeah. What was even their problem? Their problem was She that got sh- dessert with a guy named Joey, and he almost bought cough syrup which from which a no, pretty he didn't, girl. He was, she was joking about that. The, it would have been, if we're going to like try and make this story better, she should have just slept with him. Yeah, they should have worked that out. Yeah, like, what? Because like, I, I think Shyamalan, Shyamalan, was your, what was your I think Shyamalan didn't want to make her unredeemable. Which, if you're in a disaster movie, you can be redeemed if you just survive till the end. I've actually decided what I think a cool um, plot for this movie would have been mm-hmm. is if Mark Wahlberg really wanted to have a kid, and Zoe Deschanel didn't want to have a kid. And so over the course of the movie, with them taking care of Jess, mm-hmm. she learns that she actually likes well, taking care of kids. And at the end of it, they're they're adopted Jess, and she's taking care of the kid. That's so it's basically thing. like them having a kid. No, that is the plot of the thing, but they only talk about it once. And it's during that moment where none of us ever listen. It's, oh, yeah! It's when Mark Wahlberg is talking to the two kids, and he and the, the Jared asks him, he's like, hey, is that your kid? He's like, no. And then he's like, you got any kids? He's like, no. And he says, why, you have a problem, like, making a joke that his... A tweez! Work. Huh. But, then, but then he's like, no, she doesn't want me, and... Wait a minute, why am I talking to you about yeah. this? No, she says she... He says she thinks I should grow up. Yeah. And I'm like, in what way is he not grown yeah, up? Yeah, why like, is he not... Like, the only time he, like, acts immature is, like, when he's with his students. He's like, oh, the Dark Lord. Like, he doesn't do Because he's being like the hashtag yeah. cool character, cool, cool teacher. He's actually being, like... I mean, besides his voice being, like, going through puberty, he's, Hi. like... <laughs> he's being mature throughout the whole thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't really see what was wrong with him. Like... Yeah, that's the thing. We've talked about it before, and I feel like I say the sentence we've talked about it before a hell of a lot of times. Because there's so so much we can talk about. Because you guys chose to do the same subject for every single episode. (laughs) If it works for a different podcast, it works for ours, too. Like, I honestly feel like I'm failing you guys here. No, 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 you're doing a fantastic job. We we have to go into segments a lot of times because we just kind of think, stop thinking of things to talk about. You're doing awesome. But Zoe Deschanel's character is so unlikable. There was not a single redeem. There are redeeming qualities to Mark Wahlberg's character. In yeah. some ways, he's sort of he's sort of endearing in his whatever the twist is. But Zoe Deschanel's character is completely unredeeming. Yeah, there's nothing good about her. So they might as well have just made her sleep with Joey. Yeah, like, exactly. That would, have, that would have made it more of a plot, and it would have made more sense. I didn't even really feel like or dislike toward anybody. It felt like just some kind of unnatural... Like, it felt like I was just watching some sort of unnatural phenomena that happened to take the shape of human bodies. Yeah, that it makes was, sense. It, I, I just did It wasn't even a... Th- it wasn't a thing I could give a yes or a no to. I mean, I give it a no, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was a thing that I could just... That I was just watching, and I was just... You guys saw my face. I was just yeah. a gape. I was a gape. Yeah. I, even I, the things, even the meme bits, the, you know, the memes, like, like, yeah. like the, what? No. the cheese and crackers, the cheese and crackers, all, all, yeah, the, the, like that. It, it makes you kill yourself just when you thought there couldn't be any more evil that could be invented. Just all the, even the meme bits 
watching it all together as a cohesive whole, well, incohesive whole. Mm, yeah. I couldn't laugh. Yeah, I you, couldn't. I couldn't smile. I couldn't. Well, even your even your your riffs weren't helping. Well, I I was gonna try and avoid segments, but I think this is actually an interesting one that I do want to ask you. We have a segment called "Good Filmmaking and Bad Film," where every week we try and find one thing about the movie that was actually good filmmaking, and I want to see if you can try and find something somewhere that was like something if they had done it right, or even if they even if they just had it the way it is. Is it good filmmaking? And I'll give mine so you can think for yeah. a second. Um, uh, I, I think I already have oh, mine. Go if, for if, it. If, then, if you please. don't mind, I'm sorry. No, please no, do no, it. No, no, no. I'll do it. this. The uh, idea of the sort of the finale of the thing being our main hero. I want to stress the idea yeah. mm-hmm. of our main hero and the love of his life being separated by several meters of. Uh, of danger, yeah, you know, with the wind blowing through the grass and everything, and speaking to each other through a hole, you know, a pipe connecting them, mm-hmm. and him deciding that if he's going to die, he wants to die with her, so he crosses the the danger zone. That idea would have been the perfect way to finish it mm-hmm. if there was a sufficient, you know, background or arc to you know lead to that emotional moment if the if the uh if the whole like uh shack and house connected by a talking pipe hole was set up better yeah you know so that it wasn't just set up just to only exist for that scene well that's how i felt about the line uh what what color was love and he says i don't remember like if that was in a different movie in a different way that would have been like a really cool, yeah. beautiful moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. that could that whole thing could have been a beautiful moment. And then, hell, why not have him? Why not have them meet in the middle of this field of danger and death and wind and everything, and they kill each other next to each other or yeah. something? I don't know. That could have been no, different. This is an interesting idea because um, the character in. Mrs. What is it? Mrs. Jones? Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Jones. She stresses so much how she doesn't want contact with the outside world. Imagine this. Imagine that this little shack is a bed and breakfast. Mm-hmm. And Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel's character go to this bed and breakfast to sort of fix their marital problems. And meanwhile, Mrs. Jones is there. And meanwhile, they keep hearing things from like a radio or TV that they brought, or like their computer, that, the, that there's an event happening. And Mrs. Jones is continuously trying to get them to stop paying attention to this. Mm-hmm. And, and that sort of thing is that I think that would be an interesting movie. Where it's just them, it's basically just like a bottle movie. It's like completely, it takes place where they have to decide if they, where if they decide if this event is actually happening or if they should just not pay attention to it or something like that. Well, because like, they're like, time at the bed and breakfast is up, so they have, can either choose to stay and avoid it or go out to their car and mm-hmm. think it's a hoax. Yeah, and the way that would clue them in is Mrs. Joe, is at the very end, because Mrs. Jones is acting crazy. Mm-hmm. They could, and then Mrs. Jones kills herself. It might clue Mark Wahlberg's character. Oh, maybe something is happening, and but then at the very end they go out and they and they thing like that. And so they don't really know if it's if she was just being crazy or if it was actually this event happening mm-hmm. or anything like that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Let me add on to it. Go have for a it. different director. <laughs> have that. Have the script that Shyamalan wrote because Shyamalan would still be involved with the project. Mm-hmm. That's just inevitable. Mm-hmm. It was his idea. This is actually but, a segment we do have. Is if you if you would like with a different director and change it however you want, what would you do? Dif- what, who would you put as the director? Writer director James Gunn. Ooh, interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Not Yodorowsky? <laughs> Yodorowsky's doing. Yodorowsky would fill this like the, like the wind would be played by like a like a transvestite in like a white flowing gown with like long twigs coming out of their fingernails. With and like, the hot dog guy would be an actual hot dog. Yeah, the hot dog guy. It. No, the hot dog guy would be in like a hot dog like mascot suit because that's what Yodorowsky could get a hold of that day. And, and it would then there'd, there'd be a brick wall and one of the bricks would fall. And then, get it. And then Cameron would turn to the camera and say, get it. And then it would cut to a shot of Yodorovsky just jacking off. Just, and then also jacking off M. Night Shyamalan in the same and they're, thing. And they're both crying. Yeah. Like, it's beautiful. There's a picture of Lyndon B. Johnson in the background, and they're just like, what? <laughs> what? And Tarsum Singh is just filming the whole thing. And you zoom back, and it's actually Ang Lee in a Tarsum Singh outfit. And you're like, I don't even know if this is racist. <laughs> we haven't even said it an American, like a white director yet. We're so progressive. Mm. We did so many mm-hmm. minority directors. Oh, Thank God. James Cameron. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I would not want... I, actually, I would love to see James Cameron's version of this. No, this That'd is... That'd be so This is too dumb. small for James Cameron. Yeah. No, that's that's yeah. why he'd make it so big and dumb. It would be amazing. If anything, he would make it so big that you wouldn't even, like, focus on the characters. And that's what he's good at, is making, like, the world of a movie interesting as opposed to... The characters themselves, and he does a good job at it. Yeah. What, you didn't invest yourself in Jake Sully. I like I like Avatar. I'm. I, what I about have... Rose? Yeah. See, Titanic was only cool with the boat scene sinking, and I would have much preferred, like the happening. I would have preferred if that movie was just more of a collection of characters and less of just two main characters. Yeah. The only problem is they already did that movie, and it was. The Poseidon Adventure. Okay, the, I haven't seen the original Poseidon Adventure, but the remake of the Poseidon Adventure, I liked it a lot. I remember I it was okay. I remember liking it okay. I do remember that was like the first time in theaters that I got legitimately freaked out, and it was when they it was I saw it in IMAX too. Oh, and and it was when they were doing that shot through the sunken like uh, bridge of the ship. And it was like the dead bodies of like the of like the ship's captain and everything were floating there, and it was so haunting and eerie to just see them floating around. Yeah, and 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 that was cool, and it definitely served the film. But there's nothing in the happening that makes it that adds tense atmosphere, like mist. Could have added tension well, atmosphere. There was the one bit where John Leguizamo's in the jeep and they drive down that street where all the construction workers or gardeners or whatever have hung themselves. It's because yeah, they immediately I, make it a freak out moment. They don't let it be tense or anything like that. They immediately make it a or he makes it because it's it's, we, it's not a we. It's M Night himself. It is he, M Night. He makes it a a shouting oh my god moment as opposed to. Because it would be one thing if... if like, talk about random bullshit to calm the characters down. Yeah, what if I'm going to give you a math problem that's going to make it better. And then the girl Hot dogs get a says, really bad rap. Yeah, the girl just know? says what after he says that. And I think that's a real legitimate reaction. What if instead of howling with, with, with fear and stuff like that, she just simply started to quietly sob yeah. at, her, at her predicament. Well, and he, was still, he still said the same things to her. Yeah. But, but it, was in less, it was less of a... Ah, 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 more of just like a quiet... Creepy moment. Because again, we said this a thousand times. They've already seen the gardeners. There's no way they didn't see that a thousand miles away. Yeah, shouldn't be freaking out. Yep, this definitely exists in a world where the camera is the consciousness of the characters. And if the camera does not see something, if, the characters do not see it. If Shyamalan does not see something, then the actors yes. do not yeah. see the it. The all-seeing I think, eye. I wonder if maybe. 
I wonder if maybe he like gives them the script in pieces like each day. Like, that would make like, perfect like, sense. It would make their, Shyamalan's films all seem like they're shot in continuity and he gives his actors their scenes an hour before they shoot them. Yeah. That's it though, right? That that seems like that seems like how he does it. He definitely seems like he'd be the director who insists that that actors get really invested in their characters, but then gives them nothing to get invested with. Yes. He's probably like, come on. Mark, Mark, think about your character as a, as a science teacher, and he and he's and he's just a he's a a science teacher. Yeah, you have yeah. to give the actor. You know, it, it's true. There are plenty of film directors who don't know anything about acting, who um, you know rely a lot on just you know I'm you know you're the actor. It's your job. You know, mm-hmm. invest in this character and like make this character come to life, and mm-hmm. you know just go with it. And you know, th- there are some directors where that works, and others where it doesn't, mm-hmm. and. You know, but of course, it always goes back to the script. And the problem is, M. Knight's not the kind of director who will really give you know give his actor something to you know work with you know on the set. Yeah. Um, which would be fine if he didn't also write the script himself. But he did, and the script is really terrible. You know, he strikes me as somebody who is probably very frustrated with his own work a lot. He strikes me as someone who who feels. Like, he's never quite achieved what he wanted, but he's gotten close to what he wanted, and he's happy with the fact that he got close to what he wanted. He, yeah, he yeah. strikes me as that kind of guy, too. Because I can imagine... Which would be seen... fine if he didn't freaking drag everybody else down with him. Because I can imagine him watching a shot take place, and in his head he's just like, this is just not what I wanted. And and I have it clear, so clearly in my head. I just wanted to see. Trans- okay, do it again. It's like okay, that was close enough to what I saw in my head mm-hmm. that we can move on. Rather than working with what is actually in front of him, he I, I feel like he is constantly referring back to his own image of the final product. Right. When you should be referring to what you have tangibly with you, mm-hmm. make the best you of know? what you have. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know because the. It's it sucks. It really really sucks. But you can't film the inside of your head. Oh yeah, Inside and Out did. Hey, <gasps> shut your damn mouth. That was a good movie. It was a good movie. movie. That was a good movie. That movie definitely, um, like, it like like a lot of Pixar movies, actions happen to advance the plot, <laughs> which was which was basically. I mean, I know that's a very basic yeah. film concept where actions happen to it, but, but random events happen to ev- to. To advance the plot, basically. Um, But overall, I thought its message, even though a message has nothing to do with quality of film, its message was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, The execution of the message, which is more important than the message itself, was really well done. Yes. And I'd give it an 8 out of 10. Nice. Mm -hmm. Solid. Mm -hmm. It's tough for me to give star ratings or... or you know, on a scale of one yeah, to ten ratings that. to movies. Yeah, I, I mean, on IMDb, I have to. Yeah. So I just sort of lazily go, uh, if it's in like my, if it's if it's like one of the movies that like like really deeply emotionally impacted me and like directed my course as a filmmaker, yeah. I'll I'll give it ten stars. You know, mm-hmm. I owe it that. It's like, you ever have those films that are just so good they're like family to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have a few films like that. Mm-hmm. Actually, those I, uh, those I, films well, get ten out of let's ten. Let's move for away me. from it. Tweez. A little bit. Let's talk about yes, this. Yes, uh, what's, what's, what's a movie that you'd say like inspired? 
the first movie that inspired you the most? Oh, Jesus. Well, I can remember very clearly the first time I was, like, very inspired by something I saw on a screen. What was it? Um, this must have been in... This was in 2000, I know, because the movie was Fantasia 2000. Oh, nice. Um, my family and I were on vacation up in Seattle, I think it was, and I was five at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd been taken to movie theaters before, of course, fallen asleep during movies because I was, you know, between the ages of zero and five. Yeah. And I, and of course, my parents would put on videos in the house and everything. So of course, I, I'd been exposed to media before, just never like while my brain was fully working mm-hmm. or was fully developed. Yeah. So, five years old, family goes on vacation in Seattle, and we go to an IMAX theater, one of the earliest IMAX theaters, where they're showing Fantasia 2000 on, like, that big dome screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like the ones where they had, uh, like, a, like, an astronomy. Or yeah, a, what is science it? centers. Like a science center. Yeah. No, yes, exactly. They were always at science centers. Exactly. This was at one of those centers, and it was showing Fantasia 2000. Um, and of course I remember, uh, you know, the Sorcerer's Apprentice sequence, you know, with, cause every child remembers seeing Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I think really kind of planted the seed, got me going towards like a obsession, like an insane, insane obsession with film and with filmmaking was, um, have you guys seen Fantasia 2000? I have not. It's been a while. Well, okay, the final uh, sequence, because it's all pieces of classical music set to animation. It's like vignettes. Of vignettes. Yeah. Like, the animators interpret the classical music with animation. Um, and they used the Firebird, like, this classical piece of music that's like called the Firebird or something, and they re- did a vignette of that where it's like this green nature goddess who brings like green and lushness to all the land, and then she gets to this mountain where everything's all dead, just dark, gray, dusty stuff, and there's all this really tense buildup, and the music you know slows down and gets quiet and really quiet as she approaches this stone that's in the middle of the mountain. And she, her hand is like slowly reaching toward the stone. And I was very, very aware watching this at five years old that she's going to touch that stone and something really loud is going to happen. And that's going to shock people. And it's very quiet right now. So that's how I know this is going to happen. And then she touches the stone, and then fiery red eyes appear on the stone as, like, the firebird is awoken. And I, the minute that happens, I hear a baby on the other side of the theater go, And so that was my first, like, conscious realization that cause effect. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. So that was um, so that was like the earliest movie to really. It's not a favorite of mine now or yeah, anything, but yeah. that was like I but think that was like the movie. first. That was like the first thing to kind of push me in the a first direction. movie. It's, it, I know this is gonna sound really stupid and cliche, but I mean it's a twist. David Fincher movie. Yeah. But the first movie that made me actually think about movies and made me think about the process of a movie was Fight Club. Oh. Okay. When did you watch it? I watched it for the first time when I was uh, thirteen. Okay. So, uh, because it was the first time I thought about a movie in terms of an unreliable narrator. Because that was a completely new concept to me, was unreliable narrator, that the person telling the story could be telling you something that's not true. And to me, that added so much to every film. Every film I watched from that point on, I thought about in terms of who is telling this story in this film? Who is, being, who is presenting this story in the film? 
And, uh, well, actually, I wanted to share. Uh, you said, it's, uh, you said uh, I only have seven movies on IMDb that I've rated as 10 out of 10. Yeah. And, but these are not my favorite movies of all time. There's these are just movies that I think are perfection, and I love them. Okay. It is Apocalypse Now, which I watched for the first time a couple weeks ago. And when I watched it, I was like, what the fuck? This is fantastic. Uh, Birdman. Brazil. This movie called Submarine. That, yeah, I like Submarine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there Will Be Blood. Uh, there's this uh, Greek movie called Dogtooth. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, that, yeah. It's a good one. It is. If, if it, it, will, it will shock you to your core. It's fantastic. And um, Synecdoche, New York. Good Those picks. are all of the movies. And I know Birdman is a... Is a is a pick that many people would say and to Birdman's a pick I'd say and to, but like again, I, I'm cool with people who really like it. Yeah, well, your opinion doesn't matter, you boyhood lover. I like boyhood. <laughs> I really like boyhood. <laughs> okay, can I can I just share something real quick? What? Um, so Did you know that boyhood took twelve years to make? Okay. Did you know that <laughs> you, you share your thing, and I'm going to share my experience. Um, I just want to share like a quick thing before yeah. you share your experience, Sam. Um, my friend from Oregon, Noah, is now um, attending Chapman University. It's nice. his freshman year. He's just come, and he told me about meeting his uh, roommate, and um, his roommate and is a film studies major mm-hmm. and Noah asks him okay so what are some of your favorite movies and he goes well I love Birdman and Noah goes oh great I love Birdman too um, I love Forrest Gump Forrest Gump is my favorite movie is Noah talking yeah. Forrest Gump is my favorite movie um, and I love Boyhood but not because of the story but because of the scope and then Noah sort of thought to himself we're gonna have a hard time oh, oh. <laughs> See, what I really liked about this... See, why don't we have a top ten scopes? What I liked about... Forget about movies and stories and characters. Top ten scopes. I've never heard someone say... Because most people defend Boyhood by saying it's not just about the gimmick of how it was made. But he's pretty much saying it wasn't the narrative that I liked. It was the gimmick of how it was made. Well, well, here's the thing. Is that there are all sorts of different kinds of stories. There are... There's... Look, the thing is, I don't hate Boyhood. I, I, I don't hate it. I thought it was a great coming-of-age movie, but nothing yeah. better. Yeah, I thought it was a fine coming-of-age film, and I thought it's actually... Ha- I, I liked the philosophy behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, the philosophy that, like, every single, like, n- now is a sacred thing. And so there doesn't have to be, like, a chosen one kind of storyline to propel it. And, you know, and I liked the idea of, you know, people were really angry with, well, if I want to see real life, I'll just live real life. I don't need to see it on a screen. And I'm like, yeah, but you can't live 12 years of a life in three hours. Yeah. Only a movie can do that. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, you basically kind of explained why it's my favorite. I think I pick my favorite movies based on how they make me feel rather than being like, I'm gonna analyze it for this kind of thing. Yeah, like, I just It just made me feel so much. Like, I'm very like, emotionally based. Yeah, and, that's, my, and that's actually a problem of mine is that I'm way too emotional well, and not like, as critical or my objective favorite, with things. My favorite movie is Goodfellas, which is number... Not, which is I rate it as a 9 out of 10, not a 10 out of 10, because it does have presentation errors and it does have problems. But that movie is impressive because it can make you feel... Pretty much like you said, it's like it can make you feel like you've lived an entire life with one character and you know this character so well, but you've only ever spent two and a half hours with the character. Mm-hmm. See, and, uh, <laughs> and here's the thing I know we're delaying your thing, <laughs> but I just, right. while we're on that note, um, the thing is, 
critical readings and personal enjoyment really are two separate oh, things. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Two separate things entirely. And in fact, there was this really good <coughs> article that I read a while ago by this author I like, uh, Lindsay Ellis. And she was talking Ooh, about... Yeah. She was talking about how she was really sick of people asking, well, is Mad Max feminist? Or is Frozen feminist? Is this... Is, you know, eggs, bacon, beans, burritos, is this feminist? And she said... It wasn't they I, I came to the realization people weren't really asking does this have any sort of feminist theory in it. People are really asking, is it is it okay for me to like this? Like, I'm a feminist, is it okay for me to like Mad Max? Does it or, like fulfill the quota? Or even worse, is this supporting an agenda? Well, yeah. some something like that. I guess the the real thing was just like I have an emotional react, a positive emotional reaction to this, but I'm scared that it's problematic. Yeah. Mm. When it should be just like, maybe maybe it is problematic objectively, but that's that has nothing to do with your personal enjoyment of it. Just like it if you like it. Yeah, just like it if you like it, and you know if you have to do a objective critical analysis of it, then be honest. Movies, movie, movies are the place where you can laugh along with a serial killer while he's murdering a child. Yes, exactly. And you shouldn't have to feel bad about that because it's a movie. I adore the movie Cloud Atlas and it has presentation problems up the wazoo. I mean, and, and I've noticed more of them each time I've watched it. Um, but I still really love the movie. It still really means a lot to me. The Wachowskis and Tom Dickford. Yeah, and yep. let us let us hear about Sam. Sam's. Uh, all right. Super. Okay. Well, we gotta address all the noise that's going on here. Sorry, do you guys mind if I cook something real quick? You Just can, as long you as you don't keep banging around so much while we're recording a podcast. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Classic yeah. people. Danny, introduce yourself. Yeah. Oh, we're at Cameron's house this time. We didn't. She's we didn't rudely interrupting us while we were I'm recording. I'm rudely interrupting while you're recording a podcast, but I'm a really amusing person. So laugh. Maybe you'll be on sometime. Is that a henna tattoo? I just did it. Would you like one? You sure? Yeah. Mitchell, you're but we the can't after, after, after podcast. You're breaking the cardinal rule of podcasts. You can't refer to things that we can see. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I did that all the time. I did that all the time on my podcast that I did this Wait, summer. How successful yeah. was it? Podcast? It's a, it was well, uploaded to YouTube. <laughs> You're gonna plug it now. What's your podcast? Okay, our podcast. It, this is a podcast that's recorded by me, Noah Marger, and Dominic Paul. Although I don't know how Dominic's gonna continue with the series while we're down in California because he's still up in Oregon. The series is called Every Tuesday Night. We just wrapped with season one. It's all on YouTube. Just search Every Tuesday Night. Mitchell, or every Tuesday night, Noah Marger, whatever. Or you want. it's a hard sock life. Or, or it's a hard sock life <laughs> pilot, which we finished editing and uploaded this past yeah. weekend. Plugs. All right, so let's. So many uh, plugs. We've got Ooh, so we've many been, plugs. They should call us Donald Trump. Ooh. All right, we've been going for a while. So but gonna, Sam, you should talk to tell my story. Yeah. So uh, I'll be a basic uh, human being. And I so before I've always liked movies. I've always known what they do and how it reacts. I always made like my little tiny movies when I was a kid. But the first one to make me have a visceral reaction, I'm gonna be like everyone else in the world, is The Dark Knight. Really? So that that was. I didn't know anything about critical ratings about it. I didn't know anything about it. All I knew was that Heath Ledger died because everybody knew about that. Hmm. And I went in just knowing it was a Batman movie. And that was the first time. I've sat through something for two and a half hours and thinking I wanted to see twice as much more. I thought there was going to be more after the screen went to white. 
and I was totally ready for more. It had, yeah. it just, it did everything. I can't, I didn't, I hadn't seen Batman Begins. I, this was like Me neither. One of my when first, I first saw Dark Knight Rises, I mean Dark Knight, I hadn't seen into into film, and it was, it gave me characters I liked. It gave a plot that was complex but like simple to follow, and it had the most, some of the most amazing performances I've ever seen. The Dark Knight is is a. Uh, was one of the first examples I can remember of when people were standing up and leaving the theater, there was a collective agreement that that was amazing. Yes. And people didn't even have to say to each other. There was just, like, this air throughout the theater of, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's a time when, like, people will applaud for, like, a movie that they liked. Like, I went to a midnight screening of Jurassic World, and everyone was like, yes, this was a good, fun time, hooray. Mm. But, like, for, like, The Dark Knight and, like, a different movie that I really like called Amour... Like everyone oh, was, was in a, everyone was in agreement. It was great, and they just gave it the respectful silence and left. Well, it's yeah. true. The Dark Knight was kind of the movie that everybody just sort of quietly agreed that was amazing. Yeah. But then I personally remember the first negative criticism I ever heard of The Dark Knight. What was that? You, you know what that? You, you know that's interesting that you get you see the movie and it's just so overwhelmingly positive that for a while it's just unquestioned, and yeah. then the first negative thing comes up, and then they all start coming in. Yeah. The first negative criticism or objection I heard about The Dark Knight came from a friend of my dad's who was, like, over for, like, a summer barbecue or something, talking about, yeah, I saw that movie. Harvey Dent really just turned on a dime. Like, he said that Harvey Dent just really just turned went on a coin, more like, oh! I mean, Harvey Dent just he, went nuts he, out of nowhere was his criticism. True. I think... That's a good criticism that, like, he definitely didn't, shouldn't have gone crazy out of nowhere. His, like, revenge plot, like, made sense, but he did kind of go insane a little too, too easily. Yeah. But, like, it's, it's a fair criticism. I feel like it's, it's a little bit better than a nitpick, but not a high enough, like, criticism for me to not like it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I still like The Dark Knight, and I don't care how the Joker was able to pull all that stuff off. I mean, it's mythic. Well, I mean, the more I see it, the more I see problems with it, and I still love it every single time. It's, it's something that, it's, I think it's the movie that I've seen the most, and (coughs) I think it's the reason I give Christopher Nolan so much, like, leeway to do whatever he wants. You know what movie I've seen the most recently of? What? I've watched the, ha- the happening. I, not the happening. Uh, I watched. I watched Labyrinth five times over the past week. Why yeah. did you watch Labyrinth five? times? I asked Cameron this a few days ago. Because it is. Has there ever been a movie that you've used to process the events that are happening in your life? Oh yes, absolutely. I'm using the. I'm using Labyrinth to process going back to school. Really now? Are you Jennifer Connelly in this instance? I guess so. I guess so. And it's sort of like (coughs) that movie teaches you to be present with your issues and not to and when not to dream, when to be when to be realistic about things. Huh. And that's what I like about it. That's a very yeah. That's a reading of Labyrinth I've never heard before. To me, that movie teaches you how to not be a child. It teaches you how to be an adult. And I and I think a lot of. Oh, I like the the sound of the cooking behind it. No, it's it's like a, it's like a good background noise. Yeah. Like it's yeah, adding to this. I think a lot of movies are like, oh, find your inner child, and I like that Labyrinth is like, was like is like, no, it's cool to have your inner child, but what's more important is becoming an adult, and you know, yeah. saving your baby brother from yeah. the Goblin King. Yeah, of course, like everyone goes through. Mm-hmm. It's relatable. Mm-hmm. So let's bring it back to the, to the happening somehow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's bring so, it back. Okay, all right, we so, guess we uh, have to. The happening's just like that. Just, 
you know, just friend you don't want to talk to. Well, you have to talk about it for like five minutes at the most, and then you just move on. Yeah, your life. Yeah. But, or like the, or like they come up to you and like <coughs> you like you want to just exchange present pleasantries and then be gone with it. Yeah. But then, but it keeps wanting to talk to you. Well, <laughs> I mean, we keep wanting to talk to it. And yeah. sooner, and then one of these days, you're just going to snap and just come out and say, "Look, I don't want you in my life." It's yep. gonna happen. So are in we gonna? Forty-two weeks. We're gonna end with uh, that segment that we like do, to do. do you, I mean, how would you? I think I want to. I want to hear how you do this. Okay, in one minute or less. <clears throat> well, in a very quick pitch. See, yeah. we're studio executives, twenty-sixth Century Fox, oh, and no. Uh, oh no, the thing is, Mister Mister Shyamalan, uh, we're gonna need you to pitch us this movie. Uh, we need to hear everything we need to know about the characters, the plot, and everything that will sell us this. Wait movie. Wait a minute. No, I have a better idea. This what do you time. have? Stanley. Oh, Jesus Christ. All Stanley, right. tell us about the happening. Yes, Stanley, please tell us how would you give us this happening. Oh, well, you see, boys, when I first wrote the happening, it was the 60s, and I was in my apartment in New York, and I saw a fly walking backwards on the wall and then letting a lawnmower run over it. Interesting. Now, how, did, how did the fly activate a lawnmower? Well, there was a gust of wind and... Uh, I, I understand. It makes sense. Well, anyways, I saw this and I thought, wouldn't it be cool? Oh, but then again, this was the 60s, so I probably didn't say cool. I probably said groovy. Wouldn't it be groovy? If there was a movie where people walked backwards and committed suicide. So I thought about the eventing. Nah, that's not a real word. The the thing that happens. But people might think it's a sequel to The Thing. Uh, but then I came up, I just decided to shorten that title, The Thing That Happens, to just The Happening. And I thought, oh, this, this is a good one. That sounds provocative and, and scary. The Happening. Interesting. So, I like this. What if we take your idea and give it to M. Night Shyamalan to make? M. Night Shyamalan. What, what pictures has he made? Uh, he did that classic, uh, you know, Lady in the Water, yeah. The Village. Uh, uh, Last Airbender. Oh, he's got that oh, movie. Oh, The Last Airbender. Yeah, he's got I that love that Nickelodeon out. show. Yeah, you know what I like about this that. Stan Lee is that you can't stay, you cannot make Stan Lee trash talk another human being. Like, I've seen interviews where they try and get him to, like, trash talk somebody. He refuses to trash talk people. He's always like, no, I really like what they're doing. Well, it's like, why, oh, why they, got the new, they got that Fantastic Four reboot. I really like that they made all the characters way younger than they were supposed to be. It's to a be, nice, refreshing take on it. To be fair, well, I did. I did like it. Do I have to keep being Stanley? <laughs> no, you can do okay, whatever you want. No, but but thank you for being on. Our hey, show. It was my pleasure being and on. And this was definitely one of the most intelligently spoken episodes. I of think the so. Happening. Which means we were it, intelligent. It took so effort. I had to kind of get my intelligence back yeah. after watching the movie. It's where, we, it's where we. It's where we come to Mitchell Forest for a little bit of intelligence in our bleak dark world. We need you for some good hey, stuff. Hey, if you were a guest on this show before me, they're calling you stupid. No. But it's no, but this is the 10th episode. It's, it's a very special one. It's a, we're, we, this is one we teach you not to smoke cigarettes. <laughs> hey, kid, you're smoking <laughs> them drug cigarettes. We catch Corey smoking cigarettes and Raven gets very upset. Hey, kids, kids, kids just remember... 
Tobacco is wacko if you're a teen. Wombo combo, happy feet. Sorry. <laughs> All right. I think that does it for this episode of What's Happening. This has been Mitchell Pratt. Cameron Stewart. And I'm Sam. And uh, Cameron, do you have a title for this yes, episode? Yes, this is What's Happening, episode 10, entitled, Welcome to Jamaica, Have a Nice Day. All right. Yeah. You can have titles at the end of the episode? Yeah. I kind of just wait for Cameron to think of a good title and then we talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the list of titles we have, they all seem sort of intriguing and sort of like, hmm, I wonder what Welcome to Jamaica Have a Nice Day one is. And then they gotta watch the movie to find yeah. out. It's or... called marketing. Hey, we're hey. good at this. Stanley. Oh, you... I just remembered that bit from Stanley? the beginning of the movie. Sorry, Stanley, yeah. do you have any last words for our viewers before we leave? Yes, I do, Samuel. Excelsior!